The following program is intended to provide general information only, and its host, Tim Decker, recommends that you always seek competent professional guidance for financial, legal, and tax advice, as everyone's specific needs are unique. WHP Talk Radio 580 now presents Financial Freedom with Tim Decker from ISI Financial Group. A full hour of sleep well at night financial guidance from an experienced financial advisor. Talking about This is your financial show, Central PA. Financial Freedom on WHP Talk Radio 580. Welcome, everybody. Tim Decker here. Financial Freedom. Thank you for taking time out on your Saturday morning i am privileged and i'm honored and it's a responsibility that i take very seriously so let's uh get going here and uh we've got a lot to talk about as well as uh speaking with you or hearing from you if you have anything you'd like to discuss with me there's two ways you can reach me the best way is to just give us a quick call all we need is your first name where you're calling from and just to general idea what it is you'd like to discuss and my producer Tori will cue you up in the order of when, of when we received your call you can uh, reach me here at 717-540-0580 that's 717-540-0580 and anywhere else toll free it's 800-724-5801 again that's 800-724-5801 and if you are absolutely radio shy, which I would encourage you not to be, because it's painless, I promise, uh, you can email me and I will make every effort, which means I cannot promise that I will get to your question. But you can shoot me an email uh, and uh, you can email me by sending it to ffradio at comcast.net. That's FF as in financial freedom, ffradio at comcast.net. We're going to go to the phones uh, right after our first break here. We have a gentleman uh, who's already called in and uh, is patiently waiting. But before we go to the phones, let me ask you, Surely you've heard of the name Sir Isaac Newton. Back in the 1700s, there was a mania of investing, and it was titled the South Sea Bubble. It was a stock, South Sea. And many, many investors turned into speculators and if we don't get to it this morning uh, sometime we'll talk about what what really is the difference between investing and spec speculating but anyway suffice to say 
Sir Isaac Newton, who we all know is one of the most intelligent individuals known to mankind, um, got caught up and sucked into investing in South Sea. He made some money. He then sold. And because the price kept going up and up and up, he got back in. And then he ended up losing his shirt. And let me tell you what he said, and I quote, this is Sir Isaac himself. He said, I can calculate the motion of heavenly bodies, but not the madness of people. I would recommend a book, if you've not read this book, I highly recommend this book. And the name of the book is Devil Take the Hindmost, A History of Financial Speculation. Again, the title is called Devil Take the Hindmost. The author is Edward Chancellor. And what is so interesting about this book, and it is a very interesting, non-technical read, is it takes you back, all the way back to some of the earliest bubbles in financial history, beginning with the 1600s when we had the tulip bubble. If you don't remember that or you're not aware of that, essentially everybody and their brother started buying tulip bulbs and they kept buying them and selling them and people kept buying them and selling them and the price kept going up and up and up and up. That is all within the context of what's called the greater fool theory. That theory is predicated upon not investing or buying tulip bulbs based upon their intrinsic value, but based upon the fact that you're going to find a, another fool like yourself who's going to be willing to pay you more than what you paid for it. And the reason I'm sharing this with you and the reason I highly recommend this book, again, the title of the book is Devil Take the Hindmost, has to do with what's going on and what everybody's talking about right now. And you know what I'm going to say. Bitcoin. We actually had a caller, I believe it was last week, uh, asking that I discuss that and share my th thoughts. And it continues to be all over the news. And the last time that I saw something being so often discussed was during the dot-com bubble. We saw taxi cab drivers. We saw barbers in barber shops we saw people everywhere that normally had n no interest in talking about investing bringing up and talking about tech stocks well now it's bitcoin and the only thing that i really want to offer you that i think is helpful and practical comes down to gambling versus investing. And the way I'd like you to think about it is a investment should be, if you want to make it be a wise investment, an investment should be supported 
by evidence, financial science, and many, many, many years of history. Because investing is all about probability. You want to put your money into something. You want to turn your hard-earned dollars over to someone or become part owner of something because of the probability that those dollars are going to multiply and be worth more in the future. And when you invest in something, it needs to have and it should have intrinsic value. It should have some earnings. It should have some dividends. It should have some profits. That's in contrast to buying a tulip bulb. Now, some may argue a tulip bulb has some value from a potential standpoint of providing beauty. But other than that, what's the value of a tulip bulb? Well, it doesn't have any intrinsic value. It doesn't have any earnings. It's the same way with a bar of gold or silver. It provides and can make and can be turned into beautiful jewelry, but in and of itself, what is it worth? It has no earnings pays no dividends. So what's it worth? Well, it's predicated and simply valued based upon what somebody else is willing to pay for it. And when you turn your money or put your money into something like a tulip bulb, like a bar of gold, or invest or spend, Speculate. Let's call it what it is, and something that is virtual, which means you can't even touch it. It has no, it it it, it has no existence other than it's indicated by a blip on a computer. What's the value of that? Well. The value of it, if you look five years and 10 years and 30 years out, is going to be strictly based upon what somebody else is willing to pay for it. Now, I'm not here to say that I do not believe that there is a opportunity in the future for different types of uh, uh, different methods of paying for things. But that's a methodology that is a process that is not specifically something called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is only one of the digital virtual currencies right now that are being used within that process, which is being explored. And by the way, that process is not regulated it's being used by dr drug lords. It's being uh, used in the black market. And all I can tell you is it has in and of itself no intrinsic value. And if you go back and you look and you learn from history and you look at investments or so-called investments that have caused much pain, it have been 
it has been those that did not warrant investment in and of themselves based upon their intrinsic value, but strictly were a result of people getting caught up in euphoric manias. Is Bitcoin going to crash tomorrow? I have no idea. All I can tell you is it's gone from under 1,000 to up over at one point this past week. It broke through 19,000. And everywhere, everyone is scrambling and wanting to know what this is all about. And many are throwing money at it. Myself, my clients, no thank you. Okay, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to go right to the phones. If you have anything that you'd like to discuss with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at 717-540-0580 or 800-724-5801 or via email, ffradio at comcast.net. I'm Tim Decker. This is Financial Freedom. Breaking news at the touch of a button. WHP 580. And that you're not investing, you are speculating. And uh, there is a long shot that it can increase substantially. But understand going into it that it's extremely, extremely risky. And again, if you are an investor, and you have monies that you want to be prudent with and wise with that you're going to want to be a good steward with, I would in avoid speculating in anything. Okay, let's go to Larry. Hi, Larry. I appreciate your patience very much, sir. How can I help you? Uh, well, I have a question here. Uh, I plan to go in like two years or so into a retirement community Mm -hmm. and uh, either buy or rent a place there. And I just got my RMD back, uh, or I just got it in the mail, mm -hmm. and I'm <clears throat> trying to figure out what to do with it. What I was thinking of doing was going to to uh, a Vanguard and putting it in a taxable fund uh, for the next two years or whatever. And I was just wondering what, kind of a fund or if you have any suggestions for where I could put that money for that length of time. Okay, so just to make sure I understand, you received your required minimum distribution from an IRA account and you've got some money as a result of that that you don't anticipate you're going to need for about two years. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Since we're looking at a very short time period of two years, here's the only things that I would suggest you consider. Number one, see if you can find a high-yielding CD. Number two, you can find a money market account if you look around uh, for, you know, some, some of these that you can uh, open up online that are paying about 1%. If you want to look at something at Vanguard, the only type of fund that I would suggest you consider, only because you're looking at a very short-term goal and a short time period, would be a short-term government bond fund or a short-term investment-grade bond fund. And Vanguard has two low-cost short-term bond index 
funds. Uh, one is uh, invest in government bonds as well as investment-grade corporate bonds. And then if you just want to to invest solely in government bonds, they do have a short-term government bond index fund. So those would be the only funds that I would consider, Larry, only because your time frame is rather short. Now, if you were talking five to ten years, then we could talk about some other options. But if you're looking at something for you know just over the next couple of years, while also knowing that it's completely liquid and accessible without any penalties, Vanguard does have those two short-term bond funds. Or, as I said, you know you can look for a CD or a high-yield money market. Okay. Uh, you wouldn't think any kind of an index fund would be suitable? Well, the short-term bond index fund is an index fund, oh. but, it's, but it's investing solely in investment-grade and government-type bonds. I would not consider ever putting money in anything having to do with stocks or stock index funds unless you're looking at an objective of at least five years or longer and ideally, you know, seven or or ten years. So I would not even consider putting this in anything having to do with stocks only because your time frame is um, rather short. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. You are welcome. I wish you the very best. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Always remember, when you have money that you want to invest, the single most important question to ask first is, what is the objective, what is the time frame that I'm willing to commit this money for? If it's longer term, again, five, seven years or longer, stocks can be a good option. But anytime monies you have, you want to put somewhere with the objective being wanting to access it or use it within five years or less, I highly recommend that you do not put that money in anything having to do with stocks because really that's not an investment objective since it's so short-term. It's really a savings objective, and you want to have the confidence that when you go to access those funds, that they're going to be there and that it's not or that you're not going to run the risk that it happens to be at a time when the stock market happens to be in a temporary decline. Because if you do, then you end up selling at a loss and you end up losing money. But I would argue it's not the fault of your investments. It's your fault because you aligned your objectives with an improper investment. Stocks or Better yet, low-cost stock index or low-cost institutional asset class stock funds should only be used if you have enough time to live through expected, albeit random, market declines. Because if you're invested in a beautiful, globally diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds or institutional asset class stock funds, what do we know? Well, what we know 
if history is our guide, and if history isn't our guide, what other guide do we have? What we know is if you go back and you look at market history, you see something that's very, very consistent. First of all, you see that stock markets go through occasional, normal, unpredictable declines. doesn't matter if it's the U.S., doesn't matter if it's in Europe, doesn't matter if it's in India. These things have taken place numerous times. In fact, since World War II, we've had a bear market, that being a decline of 20% or more, on average about once every five years, and we've had a 10% correction about once a year. So these things are normal, and you should expect them. But what we also know is all declines have been temporary. Now, if all declines are temporary, that means none of them are permanent. So how is it then that people lost money during market declines? Well, either they were gambling by trying to pick individual stocks, which, again, all the academic evidence continues to show that your odds of doing better than just investing in treasury bills by investing in individual stocks, the odds are stacked against you substantially. So that's one way people have lost. The other way is even if they own a beautiful globally diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds or, or better yet, institutional asset class funds where indirectly you're part owner of, say, 12 to 14,000 companies throughout the world, the only way you would have lost is if you chose, and yes, you are responsible, that's why I said you chose to sell during a temporary decline. Because remember, all declines have been temporary and the advance is permanent. And that's simply because if you own 10 to 12 to 14,000 companies throughout the world, just ask yourself, what would have to happen for all those companies to go under? Thus, you lose everything. The answer is very simple. We wouldn't have banks. We wouldn't have water. We wouldn't have lights. We wouldn't have power. We would, I mean, our existence as we know it would come to an end. That's the difference between investing wisely and knowing what you're investing in versus speculating and hoping you're going to get rich. Okay, let's go to the news. When we come back, we will pick right back up. We'd love to hear from you. Any comments, any questions, you can reach me here at 717-540-0580. Again, that's 717-540-0580 or toll-free, it's 800 724-5801, or you can shoot me a quick email. Just uh, email me here at FF Radio. that's financial freedom, ffradio at comcast.net. I'm Tim Decker. This is Financial Freedom. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is your financial show, Central PA, Financial Freedom on WHP 580.
All right, welcome back. Um, I just wanted to remind you, uh, before we go to John from Hummelstown, um, if you've not done so, by all means, go to our website, sign up for our free e-newsletter. I just uh, actually, uh, last evening, sent out an article on this topic of Bitcoin. Um, If you are not on our e-newsletter list, if you will go there, um, all we need is your email address. Our website address is isifinancialgroup.com. That's isifinancialgroup.com. And on the homepage down there towards the bottom on the right-hand side, you can sign up for our e-newsletter entitled Insights and Education, and you'll get that monthly as well as other articles that I write from time to time. And we will provide you that ongoing educational and helpful material as we make it available. Um, Again, it's free, and all we need is your email address. And what I was going to say is, if you currently are not on that email newsletter list and you would like to be added, um, if you not only will sign up for it, but if you want to get the article that I sent out last night, having to do with Bitcoin, um, just email our office um, after you have signed up for the uh, e-newsletter in a separate email. Uh, you can email us uh, at isi at isifinancialgroup.com. Again, that's isi at isifinancialgroup.com. And in your email, just mention that uh, you would like uh, to be added to the e-newsletter list and also that you would like us to send you out the article uh, and my comments having to do with Bitcoin and my staff, my world-class staff, must add that, uh, will make sure that you get that article. So again, our website address is isifinancialgroup.com. Again, isifinancialgroup.com. And if you've not yet done so, take advantage of the ongoing articles and the videos, the video podcast that we actually send to you also every month. Okay, let's go to John from Hummelstown. John, how are you, sir, and how can I help you? Uh, Yes, Uh, I'm trying to compare a managed mutual fund and a a low-cost index fund in terms of capital gains. Now, when a... A managed fund manager buys stock and it goes up in value. It then has embedded capital gains on each one of those stocks. That's right. If they sell any of those stocks, Mm -hmm. statement at the end of the year telling you about your capital gains. Now, it's easy enough to get the uh, information regarding the sale of the stocks, and you're stuck with those capital gains because Mm -hmm. you own the uh, mutual fund. Right, But the embedded capital gains, which are there until they sell the stock, to mm-hmm. me is kind of a hidden danger in a way when you compare it to a low-cost index fund. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's not really a hidden danger from, from this angle. Um, one of the things that you can do, John, is all mutual funds – in their prospectus, or you can go online to Morningstar or or Lipper, you'll be able to find something that is referred to as turnover. 
and turnover will give you an indication what the historical average has been of the amount of buying and selling that funds do. And actively managed mutual funds notoriously have substantially, substantially higher amounts of turnover, which for taxable accounts, obviously, as you very well pointed out, can kick off a lot more in the way of tax uh, of, of, of taxable gains, which means you're going to have to pay t taxes versus a low-cost index fund, uh, often have turnover as low as 5%, which means although many, many of the stocks in a low-cost index fund do have gains embedded in them, the amount of buying and selling that they do is substantially less, thus come tax time each year, you're typically going to see that your taxes uh, or your taxable gains will be substantially less. But if you go and you look in the prospectus of any mutual fund, one of the things that you should always look for in addition to the expense ratio, which is a, you know, that is, is a explicit cost, is you should always know what the turnover is. And there's also been a lot of research that has demonstrated that funds with higher turnover not only have tax more taxable uh, uh, costs that they kick off, but they also have higher uh, uh, implicit expenses because when whenever they're doing buying and selling, not only are they kicking off possible taxes, but they're adding extra expenses. So that also drags down returns as well. If that and makes sense. Kind of tells me. Well, that sounds like another. Another vote for the low-cost index fund. And if you do, I do look at the turnover ratio. And good, when good. I try, I kind of scratch my head and say, do they really know what they're doing? I mean, because if you buy and hold, <laughs> which is what you try to do with, uh, say, individual stocks, I would expect the mutual fund would do the same thing. Yeah, well, they there, there's a lot of things that go on inside actively managed mutual funds. Have you ever heard of the term called window dressing? Yes. Okay. Yeah, For the benefit, I'm sorry? Yeah, at the end of the year, they try to put good stocks in there, so when the shareholders get the prospectus, it looks good. Hey, look, they're holding all these good stocks. That's exactly right. Window dressing is a tremendous amount of... Uh, uh, well, well, it's a significant amount of what causes turnover because what you said is absolutely right. When the shareholders get the annual reports and the semi-annual reports, the fund managers want to be able to show that the, many of the best-performing stocks over the last year or two that they actually hold in the fund. But the problem is the shareholders of the funds don't know whether or not they bought those funds month ago, week ago, and they don't really understand that just because they're currently held doesn't mean that they were held during the time that those stocks had good performance. So, One last comment. I haven't read the latest newsletter yet, but to me, Bitcoins kind of sounds like tulip bulb mania back in Holland many years ago. Yes, sir. That's exactly what I talked about at the very beginning of the show. Bitcoin, like tulip bulbs, um, like bars of gold, in and of themselves have no intrinsic value. It's strictly based upon the greater fool theory 
that you being a fool to pay a high price, hoping you're going to find another fool to pay a higher price. Does it happen? Sure. Gold does have some value from the standpoint of for jewelry and certain uh, manufacturing things like certain electrical terminals terminals are gold-plated. But the Bitcoin, I don't know. Well, I'll let you know. You put things up for me on the mutual fund issue, and uh, enjoy your show. Okay, John. Take care. Right, thank you. Bye. You bye-bye. All right, let's take our last break. When we come back, we will pick right back up. Again, if you have anything you'd like to ask of me, 717-540-0580 or 800-724-5801, or you can shoot me an email, ffradio at comcast.net. We'll be right back. Trustworthy news coverage, 24-7 News Radio, WHP 580. That's whatever you want to refer to to them as um, are big time in the news and uh, will one way or another uh, impact us assuming something goes through. But I intentionally have not discussed that as of yet only because why discuss something when we don't even know what's going to actually come out of it. And uh, so much of it's being discussed, but it's all if this happens, if that goes through, if the corporate rate stays at 20 that they're proposing or if it goes up to 22 if the you know this about the state and local taxes i mean you know i don't like to talk about ifs uh as it pertains to hypothetical so rest assured once we have some clarification on how all of this shakes out uh we'll you know we will talk about it briefly at that time but one of the things that i always try my very best to do on this show here is to provide you all with practical information that you can put to use right away to encourage you to do the right thing as it pertains to your financial life but also so much of of having success as a investor so much of having financial security is predicated on making sure that you don't do the wrong thing another reason why you want to be an investor and not a speculator okay I had received an email from Thelma Uh, I had actually received this last week and I wanted to get to it she had asked me Tim what is your recommendation on tax exempt municipal bonds does call date have any effect on buying them okay First of all, municipal bonds can be, for certain individuals, an investment that may be worth considering. But generally speaking, I am not a fan of municipal bonds. Definitely not individual municipal bonds. And unless you buy an originally issued municipal bond, you are going to be paying a markup on the on the front end and most often on the back end you're going to be taking a discount when you sell it you also have the risk obviously of the municipality so you're you, you you've got a lot riding on one bond if you are in a really high tax bracket and if it's going to be a very small part of your overall portfolio a tax-free 
municipal bond mutual fund can make some sense. However, understand municipal bonds are much riskier than government bonds. And as a result, I highly recommend that you diversify as much as you can by owning a tax-exempt municipal bond fund that is not state-specific. Now, sure, you're going to miss out on the state tax being tax-free, but in return, you're getting diversification all over the U.S. and not specifically just to one state, i.e. Pennsylvania. The other thing to consider is make sure you do the math on the after-tax yield. Many times, even though you're getting a yield that can be tax-free, many times you may be better off buying a high-quality investment-grade corporate bond fund that the yield many times is higher, and even after you pay taxes, you can end up with a higher net yield. So that's something that you need to be very careful of. The other thing is um, you were asking about call dates, and absolutely callable bonds can have an impact on your return because essentially what that means is the 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 bond issuer holds the right to cash you out any time before the bond is maturing now they typically will let you know at what time or after a certain time it can be callable but I would just, again, recommend you stay away from bonds or bond funds that hold callable bonds because that can and does have an impact on your overall return. So, again, I'm not a big fan of municipal bonds. Uh, I'm not a big fan of municipal bond funds. However, if you are going to invest in municipal bonds, I highly recommend a fund that diversifies amongst hundreds of municipal bonds, and I would stay away from state bond funds and instead invest in a federally tax-free bond fund that um, invests in bonds all over the U.S. And there are different types of municipal bonds as well. So you need to know what type of bonds the bond fund actually Invest in. There are general obligation municipal bonds and there are revenue bonds. General obligation is simply means it's a ob- ob- obligation of that uh, municipality where a revenue bond is tied to a specific project. So just some things to consider. Better yet, don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog, and I would not recommend for the vast majority of individuals that you invest in municipal bonds because if you go back again to 2008 when the stock market went through its major declines the average municipal bond fund did not have a positive return and believe me the time you want your bond funds and your bonds to be your best friend is when the stock market goes through its temporary declines that's why I'm such a huge fan of government bonds and some investment grade bonds or bond funds 
as well. So, well, I hope that helps. I uh, hope this finds you well as we are getting near Christmas time. And let me again say thank you for making us part of your Saturday. We'll be with you next week. And remember, it's never too late to do the right thing. Take care.